Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Welcome to our Easter series. My name is Brent and we're diving into our first week of our series called The Great Exchange. Now, here's a beautiful picture for you. So I want to tell you more about trees. Now, trees are beautiful. They're aesthetically pleasing, but also they give us shade. But the greatest thing about a tree is probably the fact that it exchanges death for life. It is actually told that one third of the fuel emissions in the world um, are actually exchanged by trees and created into oxygen. All the carbon dioxide is exchanged into oxygen for us. And uh, that's the beautiful thing about trees is that trees actually bring life into the atmosphere. And here's the thing about our story as well. The gospel also teaches that. It teaches this picture of Jesus exchanging death for life for us. You see, that is the picture of the gospel. In Isaiah 61, there's this beautiful piece of scripture and it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me um, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to release darkness from the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and also um, the day of vengeance for the Lord to comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. And then he does this. How does this happen? He says this beautiful thing, to bestow them with a crown of beauty instead of ashes, to give them oil of joy instead of mourning, also to give them a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then it goes on to say, they will be called the oaks of righteousness, planting of the Lord to display His splendor. Now in this, this is our, our scripture for our entire series. And in this, we can see the beautiful story of an exchange happening. An exchange when so we are given a crown of beauty instead of one of ashes. When we are given a, a oil of joy instead of one of mourning. When we are bestowed upon a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And this is what the gospel teaches us, is that there is a massive exchange that happens when we start following Jesus. And this, I mean, time of year, it's Easter, we're building up to it and we are celebrating so many good things when it comes to Jesus. And the two greatest things I believe that we are celebrating in the season is firstly the sacrificial death of Jesus, but also the triumph in his resurrection of Jesus. Now we are invited into these two different things. Why? Because when we see the death happen, we also see life happen in the story. We see an exchange happen. And in this next few weeks, we're going to dive deeper into these different exchanges, exchanging from our shame to His righteousness, exchanging from our pain to His authority. And today we're talking about exchanging our guilt for His grace. And the thing about all these three things is that He brings us from death to life. Now, guilt is a very, very weird thing to talk about because guilt is something that we actually feel every single day. Did you know that humans are actually the only creatures that can blush? 
I know you're blushing at home, so you can stop blushing. But really, we are the only humans that can blush. Um, we blush for a bunch of different things. Uh, maybe you're an introvert and you said something in a group and people laughed and then you're like, oh, they noticed me. Uh, I start blushing. Or, or maybe you are um, walking across a stage and you trip and you fall and you're brunch in front of a bunch of people. Um, that's another way that we blush. Maybe it's just something nice. You know, that girl you like or that guy you like comes to you and they say something nice and you start blushing. Now, here's the thing about blushing. It, it reveals how we feel in the moment. Blushing can be a good thing, but they can also be something of a bad guilt that we feel. You see, blushing is a normal thing for us to do when, when we live in a moment of embarrassment um, and we're caught up in guilt in this moment. It is a good thing to do because it shows a sign of health. You see, if we don't sometimes feel guilty, it is a bad sign of health. Let me put it this way, is that there are only two types of people that actually do not blush or that don't feel guilty. And those are saints and psychopaths. <laughs> All right, there is something that is different when we start living a life as saints of Christ. But if you're, if you're not a saint of Christ and you're not guilt, feeling guilty, um, then there's probably a bigger issue. But don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But the picture we have is actually that the story of, for instance, David, he felt a lot of guilt um, in moments that actually paralyzed him. He says this in Psalm 38. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. That does not sound fun. That does not sound light and living in Christ. But it is a difficult, difficult thing to understand because when we look at the Old Testament, there were a bunch of different things they had to do to get out of guilt. All these guilt sacrifices and offerings and, and sticking to the law. There was a procedure to get rid of guilt. And this is the picture in, Le in Leviticus 5. It says, if anyone sins um, or does what is forbidden in the Lord's commandments, even though they do not know it, they are guilty and they will be held responsible. It sounds a bit harsh, right? And they are to bring to the priest a guilt offering, either of a ram or lamb or whatever it may be. And uh, it has to be like clean and, and pure. And later on it says this, this is a guilt offering that they have been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. Now, I don't have to tell us more about, you know, feeling guilty when we sin because that is normal. We all feel that. Whenever we do something wrong, we feel that. But here's the thing that I want to start talking about when it comes to guilt is our emotions. How do we feel when we start doing the wrong thing or maybe step out of space? What are the emotions that go through our head? You see, what is guilt when it comes to our emotions? Now, this is the feeling that you feel when you've done something wrong, when you realize I did something wrong. And this can be for very different reasons. It can be for a different variety. It can be either that you, um, you maybe did a sinful act. Uh, maybe it's because you feel like a failure. Uh, maybe it could be because your thoughts have just wandered to a place where it should not be. Or even you just feel morally incorrect, morally wrong. And here's the thing about those feelings. It is how we feel about ourselves. And it's not per se the truth. And how we, we guide that is understanding this, that there are two kinds of guilt, two kinds. We have bad guilt and we have good guilt. Now, bad guilt is very um, difficult to understand if, if you don't look at it in the right way. So bad guilt makes us feel inadequate. 
It makes us feel inadequate. It gives us a life of inadequacy where we actually look at our lives or just a good way to put it, if you want to put it in a simpler English, loserness. <laughs> we live a life of loserness where we have this mentality that we are losers, all right? Um, that we are, we are lost in ourselves, that we are not good enough, that we will never be good enough. This is what guilt, bad guilt does to us. Bad guilt is like paralyzing us, or it's even like quicksand. The more I dive deeper into it, the more I struggle in it, the deeper I sink. The issue with this guilt is that it's not just emotional issue of it, but the other part of it is this, is that what the enemy actually accomplishes with it is crazy. It's crazy what the enemy accomplishes with this bad guilt. You see, there's this quote and it says this, Satan uses guilt from failures to strip you of any radical dream that you have ever, have, have ever had or might have. In their place, he gives you a happy, safe, secure life, superficial pleasures in it. Also, until the day that you die on your rocking chair at the lakeside. And here's the thing, we, we get hurt so much or we feel so much guilt that sometimes we, are, we don't want to live radical lives. We don't want to live lives that, that have dreams and that have passions because we're scared we do the wrong thing. We're scared we step on the wrong toes. You see, guilt kills passion. Guilt kills dreams. Guilt paralyzes us. And this kind of guilt is put in a perfect way. This kind of guilt is called condemnation. Now, condemnation is this, is the expression of a very strong disapproval of ourselves. This is the moment that we actually disapprove of our own self. When we look at ourselves and we say, how could I forgive myself for what I've done? You see, the biggest issue in this emotional um, pace, space when it comes to our guilt is not per se the forgiveness we get from God. I think some of us understand that. I think it's the biggest thing is that we forget to forgive ourselves because it's the hardest thing to do sometimes is to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, Brent, <laughs> I forgive you. You know, I, I, I forgive what you've done and, and I look at you and now as a righteous son of God. See, the difficult part is forgiving ourselves. Why? Because condemnation actually tackles our identity. But conviction, which is the good guilt, doesn't. It actually aligns us closer to God instead of pushing us away from God. You see, the right kind of guilt is this, is this conviction, or the Bible also explains it as godly sorrow. Now, godly sorrow is something that the Spirit does within us that leads us to repentance, which leads us to life. You see, this is actually a gift from the Spirit, a gift from God to help us from not from drifting away, but actually stepping in closer to Him, connected with Him and living in the purpose that He has for us. Romans 2 um, actually says this, it says, Or do you despise the riches of His kindness, restraint or patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance? You see, it's His kindness, His goodness that leads us to repentance, that leads us to say, God, I shouldn't be doing this. But it's His kindness that does it, not His anger or, or wrath, not His condemnation, but His conviction that leads us to living a life that is full. Well, let me put it this way. In our human conscience, what happens is that Satan actually condemns us. He tells us the things that are not true. He says that we are not good enough because we will never be a son of God. We will never be good enough. He says that he attacks our relationship with God so that we would have a lack of boldness when we get into the presence of God. That is what condemnation does. And Satan uses that to kind of mislead us. 
But what does the Holy Spirit do? You see, when the Holy Spirit speaks in our, in our conscience, what it does is it doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. He shows us that we have fruit when we live a life closer to Jesus. He brings life into us. He helps us to get closer to Him. But how do I get there? How do I know that I can live a life of conviction and not condemnation? Well, it all determines on God's provision for me and for you, for us. His his, His provision for us. You see, God did something wonderful and miraculous through the life of Jesus. There are scriptures that, that show us this picture that this was God's plan from the beginning. I mean, um, Ephesians 1 verse 4 even says, even before the foundations of this world, He chose us in Him to be made blameless and holy. I mean, we have been sought for after by God before even the foundation of this world. Before He said, let there be light, He thought of us and said that one day in Bloemfontein, there will be a man called Brent and I will love him and I will have a relationship with him. I mean, even while we were still sinners, Romans 5, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were in the wrong, Jesus chose us. He chose us. You see, we have been given this this guarantee of our rescue through Jesus because of His provision and not our lives. You see, this bad guilt that we have, this danger of allowing that this bad guilt becomes a foothold in us, that becomes destructive or critical um, in our lives. You see, Jesus' salvation is not determined by how we live. His salvation is determined by the work that He has already done. In, uh, In Colossians 2, it gives us a beautiful picture of this. And it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses, Once you were dead, you were living a bad life and that's okay. And you were uncircumcised in your flesh. But God made another, uh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses, not some of the trespasses, not the things that you did before you met Jesus, every single trespass right now and in the future. He paved a road of grace for us to live in. And just by the way, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is a license to kill sin, to win sin, to beat sin because of God's grace and His goodness. And by that, he says, cancelling our debts that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. You hear what the scripture is saying? This is a radical, massive moment where Jesus says this, is that, is that the moment Paul is understanding this, this picture of Jesus, and, and he says, he set aside our debt, our record of debt, everything that we have done wrong, everything that has been put against us, all the debt we have. He took our failures, our hurt, our debt, everything, and He put it in front of our face, (laughs) right? And He puts it in front of our face. And in a moment, you could think that God would have gone, you see this, you need to fix this. You need to be better. You need to make this right. But He doesn't. He takes that. He takes that failure. He takes that guilt. He takes that shame, the pain. He takes all of that and He puts it on the cross and He nails His Son to it for me and for you. That is the picture that God gives us when He says, I have done it. I have paid the price. It has been done. And this is what we know now as the great exchange, the exchange of our pain, of our hurt, of our guilt, where Jesus says, it is now my sons. I give it to him so that you could receive life. You see, whose punishment was on that cross? Ours. Our punishment was on that cross. But who was punished on that cross? Jesus. He took our guilt 
and he took it from himself. This is the wonder of substitution, the wonder of the picture that God has called us or God has called Jesus to be the substitute in our lives. You see, Romans 8 says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You see, through Jesus, he was punished because of our acts. It's this moment that I would say uh, would be really funny for me. I would like it because, you know, me and my brother, we grew up together. Um, we had a lot of, you know, a little bit of wrestling sessions. He was older, so he won, but now I'm bigger, so I win. So that's the, that's the way we do it now. I'm his big, small brother, if I can put it that way. But I mean, we, it was just imagine in my household, I, I'm like playing a game or I'm doing something and I break a window. Obviously in the moment, my, my dad would say, you know, I can't believe you broke the window. Go to your, your, your bedroom or wait for me. You know, I'm going to come and make sure that you have some sort of punishment. But imagine for the moment, I break the window and he turns to my brother and says, go to your room. And he starts punishing my brother for what I have done. There's something not right with that, right? There's something that, that's not understandable right there. That's something that feels unfair. And here's the thing about grace and this exchange. It's unfair. It is so unfair to think that God took the punishment for our, for our pain, for the things that we have done, for our guilt. It is unfair to think that Jesus, this blameless lamb, would now stand in front of God and say, Lord, here I am, punish me for what they have done. You see, there's something wrong with that in a sense, in my brain, it doesn't make sense. But that's how grace works. Grace sometimes just doesn't make sense. It is unbelievable. It sounds like a thing like, you know, a free meal it sounds too good to be true. And here's the truth. It is so good that it is true. It is so good for us to believe in this. Why? Because in this picture of him um, actually defeating death, we read in, in, in um, Corinthians, it talks about this picture that he has, he, has, he has forgiven us our guilt. You see, the only weapon that can actually define us or the weapon that the enemy uses to attack us is this picture of guilt. Because right after he says that he, that he has given us, you know, this, this freedom of guilt, he has paid the price. Then he says, I have now removed, he goes on, he has dismissed or he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them. He has disarmed them of their tools to attack us. What does this mean? When we believe in Jesus, when we believe in Him, and, and when we step into that space of grace, the, 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 the weapons of the enemy are immediately disarmed. And what is this weapon? It's guilt. Guilt sometimes is a weapon in the enemy's arms. And it's this, it's unforgiven sin. Still thinking that you owe you know, God something or that you're still in the wrong. God says, no, I've paid it all. I've given it all. You see, this is the connection we are made, making here, is that this picture of the record of God's debt, of our debt put on the cross and God paid it. He punished Jesus for it and He finished it. You see, in the next breath, it goes on to say, but in that moment, God disarmed the rulers and authority of darkness. He has given us freedom to live free. There's triumph over death. You see, the only it's only unforgiven sin that damns us sometimes but it's nailed to the cross, my friends. It is no longer unforgiven. It is forgiven because of Jesus. See, you are forgiven because of grace and grace is enough. Grace does one very radical thing to us and, and we'll be getting near the end now. But you know, grace does something very radical to us 
it justifies us. It gives us justification. And justification is this. It's this, it's this act that God declares us not only forgiven, but also that we are made righteous through the work of Christ. You see, it's not just the work of Christ that makes us forgiven. It is also the one that makes us righteous before Him. Now, here's the thing about righteousness. There are two things that need to happen to be made righteous, to be right standing before God. The first thing is this, is that our sins must be punished, right? We kind of know that one. But the second thing as well is that we need to live a life of righteousness. Now, here's the truth. We cannot bear our own sin and we cannot live perfectly righteous. Uh, Romans 3 goes on to explain that really well. But why can we now live a life that is full? It's because of God's immeasurable love for us. The love where He saw us in our pain and our guilt and how we are and He substituted Jesus into our life. You know, Jesus bears our punishment and performs our righteousness. We no longer have to perform. We can step into His goodness and His love. We receive this as a picture, as a treasure from God. Um, in 2 Corinthians, it, it's be very beautiful. I'm going to read you two different translations, but it says this, He made um, the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The other translation says it so well. He says, how, you ask? How can I start living this life? How you ask me this question? And it goes on to say, in Christ. That's how. God put them, the one, uh, God put the wrong in Him, who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. See, Jesus did nothing wrong. He was pure, perfect, blameless. But God put the wrong within him in that moment on the cross when he died so that we could now no longer be wrong, but be made right with him. So what implication does this have on me and you? Like what does this actually mean for us when we say we are now living in a life of grace and no longer guilt? Well, the first implication is this. So asking, how do I fight that guilt? Is discovering your innocence before God once again. You see, our innocence is grounded in what Jesus accomplished on Calvary. It is, is what He did on that cross. That is our innocence. It is born again with Him. See, grace has nothing to do with what we have done or what we have left undone. It has all to do with what Christ has done, what He has done in our lives. And if we understand that our innocence is not in us, but it is in God, we have a freedom to live by. And the second thing is this, you fight guilt with faith. Micah 7, it, it, it says, it's a beautiful piece of scripture where, where Micah in this, in this piece of scripture is talking towards the enemy and he's got this bad guilt, but he, he never admits that he has done anything wrong. See, there's this picture where, where Satan sometimes tempts you and throws things at you at life. You know, the enemy throws different things at you because you, you are, you're trying to, you know, navigate life and now all these untruths or these lies are, are attacking you from side and every single side. But there's a truth that comes out when we understand who we are in Christ. And in, in Micah 7 verse 8, I'm going to read you this piece of scripture. We're going to end off with this because it is so good to digest. It says, rejoice not over me, Oh, my enemy, because when I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I will bear the ignition of the Lord because I have sinned against Him. Until He pleads my case and executes judgment for me, He will bring me out of the light and I shall look upon His vindication. You know what's beautiful about this piece of scripture? The first thing He says, to the enemy. He says, 
I will fall. Enemy, I will fall. I have fallen before. I will probably fall again. And you can tell me all you want of how much I've fallen. You can tell me how much of my failure and what I've done. That's all good. But guess what? I will rise. I will rise because of Jesus. And the second part, he says, I'm sitting in darkness. I'm sitting in my, my pain. I'm miserable, maybe. And the enemy keeps telling you about how miserable you are, how tough this first few months have been, or maybe how you feel guilty about what you have done. And you tell the enemy, you're correct. I do feel guilty. But can I tell you the truth? That as I'm sitting in this darkness, God brings me into the light. He will bring me into the light once again. You see, the enemy is trying to tell us many different things. And later on in that piece of scripture, he explains this so well. He says, he pleads our case for us, my cause and my execution of judgment, not against me, but for me. And that's when you look at the enemy in the face and you say, you're, you're right. I have sinned. I have done things. And yes, there will be judgment being made. But guess what? It will not be on me. It is on Jesus because God does the, just, the justification and the, and, the, and the judgment, not against me, but for me because of Jesus. You see, Jesus pleads our case. He brings us into this freedom for us to live. You see, in this picture of our failure, of our guilt, of where we might be, God says His Son is the one that brings righteousness. His Son is the one that died the death so that we could have life. He took the punishment for me, not against me. See, wherever you might be standing, and I'm going to end up for this, wherever you might be standing in your guilt, I want to tell you today that your guilt does not control who you are. You see, it is when we are made righteous through Jesus that we are set free from guilt. Yes, it's good to feel bad sometimes if you've done things wrong. Please don't miss that. That is conviction and that is beautiful. But do not allow unforgiven sin, guilt that you've had in your heart for years to control your life because God invites you to a life that is light and that is free. A life that in Him, you will know that you are now a tree anchored in Him. As it said earlier, that we are trees and oaks of righteousness. And an oak is one of the oldest trees, one of the biggest trees. It's known as the tree of wisdom. And as it anchors itself into righteousness, anchors itself into who God is, nothing can destroy that tree. You are a person called to be an oak of righteousness. Anchor yourself deeper into the grace of God and righteousness will live in you. I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, we wanna say thank you. Thank you that you have paid the price. And it's not just the death on the cross that is our victory, but it is also the resurrection from that cross, from that grave, Father God, where you set everything right for us, where you have come and you've paid the price. It's not about what we have done or what we haven't done. It's all about what you have done. And Father, we wanna say thank you today that we know this truth, that because of your grace, because of this great exchange, we don't no longer need to live a life of guilt, but we live a life of free righteousness, Father God, of justification, knowing that we are made in you and that we are with you. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services. 